You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. NBA playoffs are in full effect. That means you put down five bucks, you get $150 in free plays, just as long as you're a new customer. It doesn't even matter who wins. All right. Now, as we talked about, joined by one of the dons of the sports scene, a guy who doesn't want to be called the boss of all bosses, but was fine with being put in the commission, Mr. William Brad Alice. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad, Brad. How you been? How you been, dude? Good. All right, let's get to some hoops then. So Henry Visar uh, ends up committing uh, the uh, the thing that a lot of people knew about, but nobody really reported, uh, became public last Friday. Visar, um, no, wherever you look at it, considered one of the five or six best European prospects in the world, uh, commits to Arizona. He will be here next year. Brad, I had somebody ask me a very uh, poignant question that I thought was uh, also showing me how far back he went with U of A basketball. He looked at the picture and he said, is this a coordinated Yvonne Radinovich? And, uh, and I'm okay with Yvonne personally. Like, you know, Yvonne's uh, one of the, if you're talking an all kind of overlooked team, Yvonne might be your big on that team. I mean, we're talking a team with like a guy like Chris Mills, right. um, you know, some, some, I, I would all, I almost put Rayo's on that team. Guys who are really pretty good and we kind of forget about either because of how long they were here and more importantly, usually how the team fared in the tournament. You know, Chris Mills, I don't think ever got to the second weekend. Um, You know, you look at Yvonne and, you know, you had the collapse. Unfortunately, he was on that team that collapsed in Chicago. But Yvonne was a really good player. And I do see some similarities there, I think. My initial from watching those Zapruder films of him, he might be a little more physical than Yvonne um, and, and maybe a little bit better of a shooter. But Yvonne was just a crafty big guy who, uh, you know, left here as kind of a, uh, I think he was all Pac-12 towards the end. And the guy who carved out a pretty nice career, uh, you know, overseas. So um, if you're getting Yvonne point, you know, and again, I don't think Vesser's here as long as Yvonne will be. But if you can get, 
you know, the, the what well, I think Ivan was a 15 point guy at one point. If you can get that out of Vesser, great. And I think with uh, I look at I look at him right now, and I just I wanted I tell people a little bit to just kind of pump the brakes here because I think people now in this day and age, you're look you look at and you're used to getting these five star players that come in immediately and drop 20 and 10, your DeAndre Aytons, guys like that. This is a different animal because, yes, while he's been playing overseas, you can just tell by looking at the pictures that he's incredibly physically immature still, which is to be expected. I mean, he's 17 years old, and you don't find a lot of guys that come over internationally and just dominate the college basketball scene in year one. So when I've been asked my expectations, I always kind of look at Brad and I'm like, you know, give me nine and six, give me 10 and six that first year. And then that second year, let's really emerge into that. That's more of my wavelength. I mean, I see somebody, people saying that they expect 17 and eight and I just don't see that. I think what we forget is one, you have to transition to a very different game of basketball, right? Um, the European game to the American college game are very, very different. Um, in some ways, I actually think from style of basketball, it's actually a little bit, easier uh to transition from europe to the nba right uh, secondly he's a kid who's going to have to transition to america mm -hmm. and to an american college campus i don't know his background exactly but a lot of these guys have basically been semi-pro basketball players uh, and then they have to come and actually get used to more rigorous academics uh less time on the basketball court um, and then there's just, yes, for some, there's the, the, a slight language barrier. I mean, most of these guys can speak English, but to speak English to the ability to go to class and learn in English, right. to, you know, communicate with your coaches, to communicate with teammates. Uh, and then you throw in all the other stuff that 18 year old kids deal with girls and parties and, uh, cars and driving. And, uh, you know, some of these guys in Europe have never driven. Right. Uh, and, you know, look, I think Carissa just got his driver's license. Mm -hmm. uh, that's me. He hasn't driven, but, you know, no, I know what you're so saying. A, a lot of them haven't driven on the same side of the road. Exactly. So here you've got all these things and then to expect him to compete at the highest level of basketball. That being said, he's an immensely talented basketball player. And I'll say the other thing that sometimes surprises a lot of the European players is strength training. There's not the premium in Europe of, of strength training in some of the programs. Again, I don't know his. And, you know, there are a lot of countries in especially, you know, certain parts of Europe that don't have an L.A. fitness or a VASA fitness on every corner. So it's not like you can just go down and buy a $30 gym membership and, and go lift if your, you know, school team or club team doesn't put a premium on it. Uh, so that's one of the things we're seeing. Not everyone comes to America looking like Omar Ballo. A lot of them come looking, uh, you know, like, Who's the kid, you know, our, our other guy coming in this class who's a straight. Oh, Dylan kid. Anderson. Well, yes. I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking the Croatian kid, but yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to get used to. So, to expect 15 and eight, it could have happened. It could because he's immensely talented, uh, but it's not a disappointment if he's a, a nine and six guy. Okay. So, now let me ask you, uh, Henry Visar, he feels very much like a Gonzaga type you know, player that they bring in, they stash for a year or two. And within two years, he's Demonis Sabonis or something like that. Um, that's kind of the way that I look at it for the University of Arizona right now. What I would, what I would, um, what I am curious though, is you look at the front court right now, 
you've got Henry Visar, you've got uh, uh, Umar Ballo, you've got Azulis Tabellis. Just on the surface, does that feel like a unit that is good enough to be able to go far in March? We're not even talking about the other, just that unit right there. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it depends, though, on if you get uh, Dallin Terry back, that gives you so much more flexibility. Right. Um, because he does have that rebounding component, that length component. Um, you know, so you throw in, and I think you cannot discount Dylan Anderson. I don't think he's logging a bunch of minutes this year. Right. But at the very least, he gives you flexibility of being able to throw out a 6'10", 6'11 guy if you get into foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so does it look like one that can take you deep? Yes. Would you feel better with one more piece, whether that's the Washington State transfer, the Kentucky transfer, uh, the pipe dream maybe of, of, of Leonard Miller coming in? Yes, you would feel much better. But at the very least, that's the small. Now, going small, again, would be a lot easier with Dallin Terry because of him being a legit what six seven right with the with the six foot ten wingspan, but you have pieces there, so I think you can. But I would feel better with one more piece. Okay, now, excuse me here. Okay, so had a just had a text message go off. I wanted to ask you about uh, Jack Murphy before we move on. Jack, you've known Jack Murphy a long time. You've been in this. You've been in this business a long time. I'm sure you remember when Jack was an undergrad here at the U of A. Um, uh, yes, I remember. You, you, I'm sure you was, do. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, because, uh, you know, he, he, to become a coach, he read everything we wrote. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, I think he wrote everything when we were the only ones writing it. Right. Because uh, there was a time when Cat Tracks was the only person covering, you know, a little bit with the star and citizen. Um, I happen to know he listened to the old radio show and may or may not have called in under an alias from time to time. But yeah, Murph is, I've known Murph a long time. Uh, Murph has always been a guy who's been driven to be a coach. So he learned everything he could, even when he was just the guy handing out towels, rolling out basketball, setting up hoops. He knew all the top players. What makes him so good at the international recruiting? Now, I mean, I think a lot of people could say, all right, well, it would make sense that he, you know, can recruit domestically, but this man has really made his bones being able to recruit internationally just during his time here at the U of A. You got Tabellis, you got Matherin. Visar is another big part of it. You're going to continue to see that. What What's that special sauce that he's got? Well, one, it's being able to evaluate talent. Two, it's being able to sift through um, all the rigmarole of figuring out who you can actually bring in, who's eligible, who wants to come in. Who And one thing you do see with the European guys who come in, the reason they want to play in America is – because it's a quicker transition to an NBA roster, right? You're not being drafted 27th and stashed in Europe for three years. Uh, you're going generally right to uh, an NBA roster when you do leave and get drafted. Uh, so he's able to do that. What he's, you know, he can talk basketball on a number of different levels, whether it's with the coaches, with the families, with the players, he's a personable guy and he's a grinder. And I think that's the main thing when he came here, Yes, he had recruited international a little bit. I know he uh, – I believe he had a role in the Radinovich recruitment, mm-hmm. um, more in just getting things processed and, and done like that. But he had a role – You know, at the time they were recruiting Radinovich, they were also looking at another European big guy because they were desperate for bigs at right. that time, if, if you remember. Uh, but a lot of it's just learning on the fly under Miller. Once Miller said – you know, looked at the landscape and knew they were trouble getting those – 
domestic recruits. He, he went and figured out how to do it and has done it very well. And then being able to then learn under Tommy Lloyd as well. Um, you know, one thing Luke was able to recruit internationally when he tried, right. um, didn't do it. Didn't a whole really lot. Happen. Right. Didn't have to a whole lot. Some, some didn't work out. You know, you look at, you have Tokus who went back, uh, because he was offered money. You know, Bart Mintlu never worked out, but other guys did. Um, and there was other guys we know wanted to come play for loot internationally, but couldn't clear the hurdles. Uh, so I think he just learned and That's the kind of guy Murph is a guy who's just a sponge to learn, uh, and, and improve his craft. Do you think that uh, Arizona's roster construction looks like it's going to be probably, and this is just a guess, half and half domestic, half and half international. I think it's going to be very much along that Gonzaga line. The only thing, and you hear this a lot from people on, you know, especially when Gonzaga doesn't do well in the tournament, and they'll say, well, you know, they kind of got out, they got out bullied there. They got pushed around. I used to subscribe to that theory until about six years ago. Because it did feel like Gonzaga did usually by about the Sweet 16 just get punched in the face. But I tell people from now, guys, Gonzaga's been to two of the last five NCAA finals. They would have been a number one seed during the COVID year. Haven't they kind of dis disproven that critique to a certain degree? I think the critique of them being bullied is less from stocking their roster with international players. Because the international game is less finesse than it used to be back in the, you know, the eighties and nineties when we were first exposed to it through the dream team. Right. I think it's more of a factor of two things that, that have afflicted Gonzaga and they afflict uh pack 12 teams. One West coast basketball just isn't as physical. It's not officiated that way. Right. Um, two for Gonzaga. I know people like to say that the, you know, they're not, they're not battle tested. Um, while they do have to face a bunch of grown men, um, the grown men who play at Loyola Marymount in Portland and Portland State are not the same grown men that you're running into uh, in the Sweet 16 from the Big 12 and the Big East. And, and frankly, even, you know, some of the mid-major teams, you, you look at the the Daytons of the world, and the now the Xaviers and Rose. So it's just a different type of athlete than you get at the bottom half, especially of, of the West Coast Conference. I mean, yes. St. Mary's will always have talent and BYU will always have talent and they'll have, you know, four year players. But when you're looking at San Diego, when you're looking at Loyola Marymount, uh, you're usually San Francisco, not this year's edition. Uh, you're not getting uh, those physical grown men team. You, they may have grown men, but they're just not the talent that you're in the athleticism. You're seeing. I think, let me ask you this, Brad, KB Thiel, I think makes an interesting point as he does. Usually I think part of it is they haven't won a ring. People don't think they're legit because they get enough of those, but never win it. If Lute Olson doesn't have a ring, if 97 doesn't occur, would Arizona basketball be viewed in some of the same prism that Gonzaga is? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, good point, Kobe. And you're a, he's a young buck throwing that out there. You know, is Oregon can look at Oregon's last 15 years. Mm -hmm. They have, they've gotten to one final four. Right. Um, look at the resume of some other coaches, um, some other programs who've never quite gotten there. And I think it's a legit, at least in the way we, we do this. Um, I think, you know, that keeps some programs from, from going to, you know, look at Purdue. Purdue's a really good basketball program. Never been to a Final Four, at least in the modern era. Isn't that Matt, crazy? Matt Painter has never got – remember, 
and maybe you might be able to. There was a stretch there, even pre-Big Dog, where they seemed like they were a one or a two seed every year. Never right. got past the Sweet 16. Uh, but yet we all consider Purdue a really good program, um, but they're not on the level of, of even like a Michigan State. Or, you know, or even close to that. Yeah. Yeah. But yet they're really good. But I, and I, again, I think uh, that national, just the same way, Sean Miller is not considered. Sean Miller had gone to one final four. We're speaking about him differently today. You by know, the way, one more shot goes down. Uh, he's a different coach. By the way, you really made my day when you just mentioned the big dog right there. People don't, if you didn't live the big dog, you don't, and we're not talking about Brody Dryden, the big dog here. We're talking about Glenn Big Dog Robinson. If you lived that era, that was one of the meanest you-know-whats that I've ever seen in college basketball. There was something about those mid-90s, six, seven power forwards. Uh, you go Rodney Rogers. You mm-hmm. go Big Dog. Lamont Murray. John Wallace. Love those guys. Right. Uh, even Corliss. You know, right. uh, as much as he broke our hearts. But, uh, yeah, I may or may not have a big dog Bucks purple jersey sitting in the closet somewhere. Speaking of which, have I told you about the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX? I think you've mentioned it a couple times. All right. Well, I put this out on Twitter because there was something on there that said DraftKings Sportsbook app. And then I just put on their code word PHNX. If you know, you know. And there was like eight people that I guess knew it because they liked it. But here's all you got to do. You put in five bucks, you get $150 in free plays if you bet on an NBA game. It doesn't matter who wins. New customers only, though, Arizona only, 21 and up, gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Speaking of gambling, let's talk some gambling now. Arizona football, Before I, I never know what to do with Arizona football OUs. Um, the last two years, I well, I don't know what I thought last year, but I loved the Arizona over one win during the Sumlin COVID year. I would have lost money on it. Arizona football is at two and a half wins uh, in Vegas right now. Brad, I like the over of two and a half wins, and I feel actually pretty good about the over. I think if you think they're going to win two of the non-conference games, you hammer the over. Mm -hmm. If you think they're winning one, then you're considering the over. If you think they're starting the season 0-3, bet the under. Because right. I don't think the team recovers. Um, because this is a team, and it's a cliche, but it's uh, there's some truth to it. You have to learn how to win. Right. And last year, they didn't know how to win. Um, you know, you look at games that they, they you know, they kind of blew the BYU game. I think they blew, the, obviously, the NAU game. They blew the Utah game. Um, it's hard to really blame them for the UCLA loss when you lose your starting quarterback. Um and there's no reason Colorado should have beat them up. But if you look at it, yeah, there's some weak teams in the in the, in the conference. While their non-conference doesn't have any gimmies, if Arizona has improved to a certain level, I think they have a chance in all three. Because one, you know, as good as North Dakota State is, they still have to travel to Tucson and win a a one A 1A game on the road. San Diego State's not quite as good as they were last year, but you're getting them on the road. They're opening the new stadium. But is that that really big of a deal to San Diego State fans? Are there enough San Diego State fans to make that a big deal? And as talented as Mississippi State probably is, those teams from the SEC do not do well when they travel. That's why they don't travel. 
Well, they're also too, especially when you're looking at generally the bottom feeders of the SEC as well. I think people have this, and our good friend Kevin Woodman would always bring this point up, that the SEC, yes, Alabama, Georgia, you know, Every now and then, LSU, no qualms. You you get all the kudos you get. But man, there's a lot of there's a lot of crap there too. There's a lot of there's a lot of Mississippi states. You know, I'll tell you the the look at the look at look at South Carolina. Take out a two or three year run from Spurrier and a two or three year run from Lou Holtz, and it's a bad football program. Yeah, uh, obviously Vanderbilt. Now here's the thing with the SEC that I think you can say that nine or 10 of the teams, if you have the right coach in place, can become a national power. I don't know if you can say that in other conferences. Um, But they're also just as capable of being, there was a decade and a half, you know, the Denardi era where LSU was a six win program. Jerry Denardo. There was, there was a lot, look at Tennessee now. Tennessee won a national title in the last 20 years and it's a bad football program or mediocre. For, for children um, of the nine, I'll give you a better example. For children of the nineties, Brad, you're uh, you're kind of stuck in between there. You're a child of the eighties and the nineties, so you know what? We'll grandfather you in. But when I when I was growing up, I never knew half of these programs as having anything in football. LSU never mattered in football. I know you had a Kevin Falk and a Rondell Mealy or something, but nobody cared about LSU. Auburn was a non-entity as well. Um, Alabama for a good percentage of the 90s, early 2000s was, I mean, you could probably make the case that, and I could be totally wrong on this, but from about 94 to 2000, that Arizona football was probably better than Alabama football. I mean, so there's this, I think there's this, there's this conception with people now, especially the younger crowd, that all these teams have always been just dominant and not really. They all have had windows. Yeah. And that's true of most programs. I mean, if you want to talk mid-90s, there was a stretch there where Tennessee and Nebraska football were as good as there was. And right now they're not as good as there is. Middling programs. Pre-Spurrier, Florida was, eh. Now they're really good. But so it takes the right guy, the right stretch. Um, Now, is it easier for Alabama to hire a B coach and be an A program? Yes. Mm. Georgia. Their, their talent is there, Florida. Uh, so let's not discount. And again, Alabama, what Alabama is doing now as a modern dynasty may be the most impressive thing in college football. For sure. Um, maybe history. But let's not pretend. Yes. Yeah. So Mississippi State, will they have more good players in Arizona? Absolutely. Um, but they're coming west, something they, I don't, again, SEC teams do not come west. And when they do, they lose. Right. Um, look at last year at UCLA. LSU. Look at ASU beating LSU. Uh, don't look at LSU coming to Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, and 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 you never know with a Mike Leach team either. That team that could be a sixty point. Wait a second, Brad. Win. Is yeah. Alabama preparing to come to Arizona in nine years and lose? Then is that what you're saying? No, I don't think Alabama comes to Arizona in nine years. You think that you think that somehow they get they buy that one out? Yeah. All right, so so you're yeah, saying because that if just, Arizona's good, they're not coming. So you're just, and if Arizona's Arizona, you really don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, yeah. Then you're like, hey, can we go play that in the Cardinal Stadium or something? I don't right. know. Yeah, right. I would not. I would not necessarily think uh, 
uh, Alabama ever makes it here. So as, as many of you may know, I've been sick uh, with COVID and pneumonia. So I've been going through and looking at a lot of my old media stuff. And I wanted to let you know here, and I got a question here. Brad Alice is in a lot of these Cat Tracks publications right here. Got some very cool vintage high school pictures of uh, Mike Bibby, then Steven Jackson. Very cool. Uh, hold on. But here's my question, though, William. How many of these recruiting tournaments, and be honest here, did John Schuster actually go to where he's writing about Mike Bibby and his prowess on the uh, high school scene? I joined Cat Tracks about 96 as an undergrad. Okay. Um, where I was first doing illustrations, uh, if, if you really must know, then covering the Ice Cats and women's basketball. And then they would give me, because Schuster and Mortich did not love recruiting, they would give oh, me I the, know. They would give me the phone sheet and I'd call recruits, and that was like you were calling them on their house phone. Right, right. Um, so I went to – I saw Bibby play as a junior. Uh, and I think one of the reasons I was brought on to a bigger role is so Schuster and Mortis could avoid <laughs> the tournaments. Um, so I don't know who he saw pre-97. Right. I think he went to two or three events with me. Because these articles are not written with the normal John Schuster flares slash – but you also have to remember there were no video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, there was no uh, no internet sites to get scouting reports on. You were really what you were doing is you were getting high school coaches telling you about them. You were getting people around the program telling you about them. So it was hard to write. I've told people about, and I saw Shakur play, but I've told people I had an intern called Shakur and got his dad. And all he said, the only quote he could get out of Shakur's dad is Mustafa is Mustafa. And Mustafa is very good. Okay. Well, thanks for the heads up. I took those quotes and wrote a five-paragraph story wow. <laughs> talking about how Mustafa, uh, although Mustafa is a fan of East Coast point guards, he uh, tries to have a unique flair all to his game. Mustafa is Mustafa, said Papa Shakur. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was it was the Wild West at times back then. Yeah. And, you know, you get to a tournament, and if the kid wasn't in the book, you you couldn't get it on your phone to figure out who the kid really was. I mean, I remember the first time probably towards the middle of my run, uh, whether we were a scout at the time, I'm not sure, being able to actually call up a photo on the phone to confirm the kid wearing the number 33 jersey was really the kid I was there to scout because he looked shorter. And it turned out it was the kid. He just was really 6'3 and not 6'6. But, uh, and I'm sure you've seen some of that going to terms. Now it's, you know, now it's, it's a whole different game with smartphones and, and, and high quality video. But back then, yeah, you were recruiting stories were hard to write. If you ever wanted to be involved in something where you don't have to guess the legitimate size of something, that sounds terrible. The DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. This is the girth. This is coming with everything right here. And code word PHNX, you put in five bucks, you get $150 in free plays. Going on right now, you just got to be a new customer. Brad, that was a very slick transition, was it not? I was hoping it wasn't for another product you've endorsed, so maybe oh. Yeah, well, we'll get to that one. All right, Brad, before we sign off here, we uh, uh, the folks like when we talk a little bit of women's basketball here, and the team's obviously good. It gives us a real reason to, uh, you know, obviously to talk about it. Now, it looks like Adia Barnes has kind of got her 
her template in play next year. You got to figure that Maya Najee will be starting or will be playing major minutes in some capacity in the front court. You don't bring in the best big player in the country, not to. Kate Reese is going to be playing 30 minutes a game. You know, some, something that you're bringing in Jade Lavelle from ASU, who's probably coming in to play 25, 28 minutes a game. You got two different transfers that can both play Oklahoma State, West Virginia. You got Pellington. All of a sudden, this roster now has a lot of players where a lot of minutes are being spoken for, as opposed to about a month ago where we were wondering who exactly is going to be playing where. Well, we knew they were bringing Reese and Pellington back. We knew they had the, what, three really high quality freshmen. So that was right. five of your eight-player rotation, probably. Right. Uh, so now you mix the the three uh, transfers in, and, and and I think they have another one or two quality players left over from last year. Not a whole lot. Uh, you know, they got uh, Ware back, mm-hmm. and she'll at least be a, a role player, if not a starter. Um, but, yeah, so I didn't really have a big concern because I knew that they would be – I knew, in reality, while you were missing eight or nine players, you need eight, you need eight or nine total. And right. they already had five or six or seven spoken for. Um, so, yeah. So I'm not real worried. Now, the only thing now is you have to mesh them. You have to hope that you can find a, a secondary score behind Kate Reese. That was the real problem last year. Uh, points sometimes came at a premium, including in that tournament loss. Um, but when if they can find, you know, 65 points, uh, they, they should win a lot of games because this is going to be another good defensive team again. You know, you have to mesh the freshmen with the transfers with the returning players. That's going to be the biggest challenge. You have to make sure the, 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 the freshmen are ready to go, but you know what? Two are McDonald's all Americans and yeah. one is a, as a, a four star equivalent. Um, so I don't really worry about that as much as you might, if you're bringing in a couple three stars or uh, an international player, you weren't sure about, cause you know, she has brought in some very highly regarded international players and they haven't necessarily been ready. Um, and then they leave. So, can Arizona be a can Arizona be a consistent top five to seven program in the nation? Arizona women's basketball. Yes, and I think part of the reason is their Adia's ascension is coming at the right time. Other programs that have been traditionally good are falling off a little bit. Um, what we have seen in especially in women's college basketball is this more so than men's college basketball is coach driven um i mean look tennessee has is better now but they have not come anywhere close to the summit era remember again you want to talk child in the 90s remember old dominion women's basketball law tech those used to be the big programs um not, not anymore um you know UConn is probably the one that's going to transfer, but can, can they what will they be post gino what will you know stanford right. will probably always be good because they're academics but there was a time USC was the big dog in the Pac-12 behind Science Stanford. They're not quite that good anymore. Right now it's Oregon and UCLA and Arizona. So, yeah, it comes at the right time. As long as Adia Barnes is recruiting at a high level, as long as she keeps winning and attracting these players, Arizona has a chance to move up into that echelon. Uh, then the bigger question comes, what is life like after Adia? And the good news is she's, uh, you know, she's got, got 20 years if she wants it. Well, and that's the and that's the key too, where I think she really does kind of have a Lute Olson situation on her hands here, which is a very good thing to have. And that no matter what whatever happens with this program, good or bad, you will get the full credit. Nobody's going to say, "Oh, well, you know, so and so also won a title there," or you know, Dean Smith won through. I mean, Dean Smith, but you know what I'm saying, like with the Roy Williams thing. 
Whereas she's going to get the full credit where like with Lute Olson, when people look at Lute Olson's resume and they see the four final fours and the national title, nobody says, and this is with all due respect to Fred Snowden, because he did some very good things here, but nobody looks and said, well, you really got to, you know, consider that Fred Snowden did the same thing. No, it's, it's just not the same. And Adia Barnes is on that pedestal now where whatever she does is going to be her full credit. In fact, in many ways, I think you make it just a point. Joan Bobbinsini can become the Fred Snowden. Yeah. Um, Fred Snowden showed that you could win at Arizona. And if Fred mm-hmm. Snowden had not had success at Arizona, Lute Olson would not have come. Right. That being said, Snowden had a, and again, a different landscape. You had to win your conference. Uh, you had to play basically UCLA to get out of the West. I get it. But Snowden had one or two good runs in the, in the tournament. Um, deep runs. Because again, it was a different, different mm-hmm. thing. So he showed that yeah, you can win Arizona. You can you know you can put some some butts in the seats, but Lute took it to the next level. Just like if Jed Fish or whoever gets Arizona consistently to an eight, nine, ten win program, you'll look back fondly at Tommy. Uh, but again, Tommy will easily move on though. Tommy was the Snowden was the Bon Vicini um, uh, uh, of that. You know, it's not like replacing Jerry Kendall. Right. Uh, with your Lopez and then later, you know, it's not like replacing Mike Candrea. It's not right. like, re- you know, um, no, no offense, but if someone comes in and surpasses what Dave Rubio does, Rubio becomes that person. Rubio kept Arizona relevant for a long time. He's only made the one final four run. Right. Uh, so there's room to grow some of these programs. Whereas again, Nadia Barnes can get him to that level, just like Luke did. All right. He's William Brad Alice. William, you can follow him on Twitter at WSR Brad. You can always find him here on uh, uh, Tuesdays at 1230. Brad, you got any podcasts coming up anytime soon? Yeah, I just got to get him recorded. Got some ideas. Uh, was kind of waiting for the, the Vesser news to really break. Um, so, yeah, we'll be having some stuff over the summer. Just, uh, it's, yeah, it's been a busy time with uh, youth sports. Mostly. Oh, by the way, how's, t- how's Tyler doing? Uh, season's over. Uh, won his last three star, won his only three starts, and he uh, made the uh, majors all star team. Even though he played at a lower level, they're moving up with the twelve year olds, and uh, so he'll get. I heard. He, I heard he's got the smoke behind him. He uh, he he can he went he's pitching. Yeah, he in his last three starts. I know it's little league, but seventeen strikeouts in uh, six innings. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Five runs given up. I was so. going to say that's that's better than I would do. I'll put it to you like that. Oh, I tell he's like, I didn't do that good. I'm like, oh, I would be bragging now about what you because I was a lousy baseball player. Well, right. Um, and, yeah. and these kids, too. I always like to, and I'm not saying that he, Tyler's doing this because I'm sure he's not, but I also like to the uh, I can't remember. I was watching something because I've been watching a lot of TV and it was like the middle school championships from like you know, two years ago. And this kid scores like 55 points. He's clearly the best player on the court. And, you know, the commentator's asking him, well, you know, uh, you know, what does this performance mean to you? It's the highest scoring, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I just take it one game of a time. I didn't really feel that I did much. Dude, shut up, man. Dude, bask in the limelight. It's okay to be a kid. Uh, Tyler, I don't think understands baseball well enough to know what his stats mean. Right. Cause he'll be like, well, I, I gave, I gave up some hits. I gave up a run. I'm like, a run in little league is uh, right. Yeah. And again, he, it's also, he's the number two pitcher. I see the number one pitcher is really, really good. Like he's a, the club ball kid. He's the kid who is out there throwing every day, whether mom and dad want him to or not. So he's got like, he's like, well, I'm not this kid. I'm like, well, yeah, that, that kid's um, yeah. Can you, can you work as hard as that kid? So 
Uh, that's just Tyler for you. He's uh, I'll I'll do the talking, I guess, and he can be like, I don't know. Can I play Fortnite? <laughs> oh, he kill me for that. Can I play Apex? Yeah. <laughs> He's Brad Alice. I'm Mike Luke. Thanks so much for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. Oh, <laughs>